0: crucified, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white, pure and white in the blood of the Lamb? Will your soul be ready for the mansion bright? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you wise in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? There is power, power, wonder-working power In the blood of the Lamb There is power Sin-destroying power In the precious blood of the Lamb Are you washed in the blood In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb Are your garments spotless Are they white as snow Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb Are you washed in the blood of the
1: Lamb? Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I want to share with you today a a very well-known story, but there's a problem. In fact, two problems. The problem is we have heard the story so many times, those of us who are Christian, that it's hard to hear with freshness what we think we know is our greatest problem. It's obvious that the Christian church in America is not transforming our culture. But instead, the culture has transformed the church. The church has become a center of entertainment, of cheap and shallow grace. The church has become an institutional business, a center of social activity, But the church in America is not a place of life-changing redemption as it was viewed by those who were part of the early church. The bite has gone out of the story. So as I share this story with you today, I urge you put aside what you think you know about this story and listen to it afresh. Now the second problem we face, if you hear this story, if you hear this message today, and it does not result in change in your thinking and in your life, it will have simply been a deeper vaccination of the worldly church. I don't want to offer you something that will allow you to settle even more comfortably into the modern American church that is dead to righteousness and holiness. Rather, the purpose of this broadcast is to lift up Jesus Christ in all of his glory and to accomplish the purpose for which he was sent. Now you may automatically say, oh, I know why Jesus was sent. He was sent to redeem his people. Right, but what does that mean? What does it mean to be redeemed? There's a passage of scripture, and again, it's one we're very familiar with. It's found in the third chapter of 1 John. I'll begin reading with verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And we're faced right there with what we think we know. And the majority of Christians, and perhaps you today, Would say, Jesus came to save me, but his blood cannot save me from my actions and wickedness and iniquity. I'm always going to be a sinning Christian. If you believe that, you do not believe what I just read to you. It says, He who does what is sinful is of the devil. If you are walking in known rebellion or sin today, there is a part of you that is straight out of the devil, and the war is on. He continues, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. You have not been born again. If you can continue day after day, week after week, year after year, continuing to walk in your sin, according to the apostle John, that means you have not been born again. We're not used to being told this, are we? Jesus had a very specific purpose in coming, and that was to destroy the devil's work in your life. Will you allow Jesus to destroy the devil's work in your personal life? If not, you're of the devil jesus is very clear he came to destroy the devil's work in your life now the the story i want to share i just want to read it to you straight from the word i'm going to read it from the new international version it's found in mark mark 14 And I'll begin reading with verse 32. Mark, the 14th chapter, beginning in verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. I need to stop right there. I recently was privileged to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. I saw those 2,000-plus-year-old trees that witnessed Jesus that night. I fell on my face on the rock where Jesus prayed that night, and I too prayed, and I specifically prayed for you. I wept on that rock for you, because I know there has to be a dramatic shift or change. If Jesus' death and resurrection is to accomplish the work in your life of destroying the devil's works, there has to be a dramatic change. There's a price you must pay. You must cooperate with Jesus and allow him to do in, his, do in your heart his work of destruction and recreation. You must be metamorphosed, changed, transformed. I went into a place of business close by. It was a store that sold all kinds of olive oil. And in the entrance to the store a large entrance right before us was a a place to crush olive oil, olives, burlap bags. They would place the olives in those burlap bags and they would stack them up. And then they had rigged up a pole with a heavy stone on the end of it. And then on the other end, they would hang heavy rocks, round ones with a hole in the middle and a rope going up around that long pole so that they could lift easily that heavy stone on the end. they would place the burlap bags under it. And then they would slowly lower that big, huge rock down on that burlap bag and it would crush the olives and the olive oil would flow forth well Gethsemane means place of crushing or stone of crushing this is where we find Jesus he said to his disciples sit here while I pray He took Peter and James and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. The Gethsemane stone is being lowered upon Jesus. He is being crushed. Verse 35, going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, that hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep could you not keep watch for one hour watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation the spirit is willing but the body is weak and once more he went away and he prayed the same thing and when he came back he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy they didn't know what to say to him returning the third time he said to them "'Are you still sleeping and resting enough? "'The hour has come. "'Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. "'Rise, let us go. "'Here comes my betrayer.' "'And just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him. "'With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, "'sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders.' Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus. Jesus. Judas said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. This is. The brokenness of Jesus in that garden of gethsemane if you read the account in luke the 22nd chapter it says he sweat blood like like a man sweating water except it was blood the disciples it says were exhausted by sorrows and so they slept an angel came and strengthened jesus What was Jesus doing? Why the agony? Well, again, in Psalm 51, King David is speaking. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Well, we know he had sinned with Bathsheba. He had acted with Bathsheba. He acted in the murder of Uriah. His actions had utterly destroyed his testimony and had brought the God of heaven into shame before the eyes of the pagan world. He is saying, Blot out my transgressions, blot out my actions. Where I sinned against you. And then he says, Wash away all of my iniquity. What is iniquity? Well, literally, in the Hebrew, the word iniquity means bent, twisted. He says in verse 4 Against you and you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He did evil, and this is what had to be blotted out. And then in verse 5, he says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow." create verse 10 in me a pure heart it is going to require two things first there's going to have to be the blotting out of his actions his sin is going to have to be removed every time in the new testament that it's in the greek speaking about the forgiveness of sin It is the word aphis in the Greek. And it means literally two words. Apo, off. And secondly, away, off. The sin has to be taken off. It has to be sent away as when a husband divorces his wife. He no longer fellowships with her. There is separation. She no longer sleeps with him. There is separation. Intimacy is broken. There's no longer oneness. That oneness is broken. So, to forgive means, first the sin has to be taken away. It has to be forgiven. It has to be removed from you. It has to be sent away. This is what is being spoken of by David in Psalm 51. First, there has to be a, a blotting out by the blood of the transgression. And then there has to be a washing away of my bentness, the carnal nature. And that requires, in verse 10, a divine supernatural act of God to create in you a new heart. Now this becomes very plain for us to see when we look carefully at the Old Testament see the Old Covenant was a foreshadowing it was a a model looking forward to what Jesus was going to do when he died on the cross we find the tabernacle set up established and God came in glory and fell in fire on the offering we find that in leviticus the 10th chapter verse 24 pardon me fire came out from the presence of the lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar and when all the people saw it they shouted for joy and fell face down they worshiped god and the new tabernacle now had the glory of god the shekinah glory of god indwelling it this is all a a foreshadowing of the mighty god of heaven coming and dwelling in you over and over in the new testament the gospel of john first john galatians where paul says i am crucified with christ nevertheless i live and yet not i but christ dwelleth in me everything in the old and new testament is about the desire of god to come and tabernacle in you and he comes with shekinah glory he comes with the anointing fire of the holy spirit remember john said i'm going to come I'm baptized with water but the one who comes after me is going to baptize with fire well we can handle a little bit of the water baptism it's the fire baptism we're terrified of and well we should be let me show you why Aaron's sons, in chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense, that is, the prayers, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. What is unauthorized fire? That is creating the appearance of the presence of God when he is not present. It is pretending that we are baptized in the fire when we are not. Many pastors do this regularly. They they lay hands on people and they do a courtesy fall. There's no Holy Spirit presence, but everybody knows the culture. And in many churches, they have these little claws, and they they call them modesty claws. They cover the women's legs so they can lay on the floor and soak in the presence of God after the pastor has been proven powerful in the spirit. It's a game that's played in the modern church. It's part of the culture of some churches. Very dangerous game to pretend that you have the fire of God when the fire of God is not present nadab and Abi, who did that actually what happened is as we learn from other portions of scriptures that they probably got drunk part of the reprimand that moses gives to aaron later is look when you're going to go into the temple of god the tabernacle of god don't drink before you go why because you may authorize unauthorized fire And so it is today. There is a drunkenness in the church, drunk on the world and its entertainment. And so we pretend that we're worshiping Jesus. In his mercy, he doesn't destroy us. But he could not do that in the Old Testament because we had to see very clearly the penalty, even though the penalty be delayed in our day they offered unauthorized fire what is that that's fire that came from their tent it's fire that came from them not from god verse 2 this is leviticus 10 verse 2 so fire came out from the presence of the lord and consumed them and they died before the lord i don't know about you but that gives me heartburn one moment you have the fire of god coming down on the altar and everybody is rejoicing and falling down and worshiping god the next moment you have two drunk men priests coming before god pretending they have the fire of god and all they have is their own fire and the fire of god comes out and destroys them i don't know if that gives you heartburn but it does me I don't want to pretend that we have the presence of God when we don't. That's why at the National Prayer Chapel we go bare. We don't have a band. We don't have all the music and all the show. I don't pretend that we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Instead, I preach repentance and righteousness. But some of you want the entertainment. You want the inspiration. You want the Kennedy Center deal show us a little inspiration and make us cry and laugh and tell us some jokes about sports and let's have a good time in church as one national speaker said when you go to church go and have a good time you're saved you're you can't be lost you're on your way to heaven so go to church and laugh and talk and play and and have a good time in church it's it's supposed to be a good time it's a party time strange fire when america is going to hell in a handbasket and the church is supposed to gather and laugh and play and have a good time are you kidding me really have we no responsibility for the moral condition of our nation have we no word of rebuke for the leadership of our nation for the ungodly actions of our men and women Do we as a nation, because we're big and powerful, have the right to just go kill anybody who disagrees with us? Really? Is that America? Are we the policemen of the world? Does the world comprise vital interests for our national security? Really? Are we free just to go bomb anybody we want to bomb are we free to go into nations like libya and destroy them and give them to isis are we free to go into afghanistan and iraq and totally destroy their infrastructure even though it was a wicked infrastructure and just give them to the wahhabis and create a a muslim caliphate are we really free to do that is that righteous now I'm not being political, I'm being moral. Are we free to lift up gay marriage in America? Marriage? Is that marriage between a man and a man? A woman and a woman? Is that marriage? I don't think so. God created marriage, not governments. Are we free to lie and cheat and steal? Our IRS regularly confiscates money from small businesses. Is that just? They give the Satanists quickly authorization to be a nonprofit, but they block conservative political groups. Is that weaponizing the IRS at a federal level? Are we free to do that? Really? And Americans don't seem to mind? Are we free to show whatever we want in our movie theaters? Are we free to say whatever we want on radio and television? Is every ungodly thing welcomed on the cover of National Geographic or Time Magazine? Really? Are we welcome to come and authorize whatever fire happens to be in our hearts and expect that the God of heaven will not bring judgment? Can we kill the babies in the mama's womb? Can we authorize abortions and say we're we're all right? I don't think so. America has become an utterly immoral nation. Utterly wicked. Now, there are many good people in America. By good, I mean they're kind and loving. Humanistically, they seem to be good. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is a total life transformation. It's the sin being blotted out. It's being made righteous. It's not walking in the sin that we choose to walk in and, and claim that we're okay in that. There's a There's an account in the book of Leviticus that we need to look at very carefully in light of the Passion Week in light of what Jesus really meant for us and did for us. We find the story in the book of Leviticus. It's called The Day of Atonement. Aaron was told that he was not to simply go into the most holy place whenever he chose to behind the curtain. Oh, and by the way, we have the right to enter that Holy holy of Holies anytime we choose to. In fact, we're encouraged to move in and live there, but not in unrighteousness. And that was the problem with Aaron. He was being told, don't go in there any anytime you want because you will die. Your sin will cause you to die. So he was to go in once a year. He was to bring a sin offering and the blood to be offered. He was to wear a sacred linen tunic. He was to be dressed in sacred garments. And after he offered a sacrifice of blood for himself, he was to take two male goats for a sin offering. Now these two male goats represent what Jesus did in the atonement. We, we will not understand the fullness of what Jesus did for us on the, at the atonement at the cross if we don't understand these two goats represent a God-man being brought into total unity and oneness and yet separate. So these two goats, one was to be brought, we find in verse 8, he's to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other for the scapegoat, it says in the NIV. That's a totally foolish Translation, it is in no way meaning scapegoat. It means literally the goat of departure. That's what the word Azazel means. Goat of departure. And so you have, first you have the Lord's goat, and then you have the a goat. They're both to be presented alive before the Lord, and they're both used for making atonement. They're both part of the atonement. One goat is to be offered before the Lord, and the other goat is going to be led off into the wilderness. Let me read. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering, that is, verse 11. Leviticus 16, verse 11, Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He's to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord. How was that altar set ablaze? By fire that fell from heaven, with two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense, and he's to take them behind the curtain. He's to put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony, so that he will not die. Now, please understand. In the old testament we see clearly that if you sin, you will die. And the blood of a bull could not remove his sin. In the Old Covenant, we are declared righteous, not made righteous. Dikasune is the Greek word. It's always declared righteous in the Old Covenant. That's why he can offer the blood, but he will still die if he sees God, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory. So the incense hides him, and the incense is used for the prayers of God's people. And he used to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. The atonement cover is called the seat of mercy. It's made of solid gold. It represents Jesus himself. He shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. Then verse 15, he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people. That is, he's to leave the Holy of Holies. He's to go out and there he is to take that goat offering and he is to slay it he is to cut its throat and he's to take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood this is for the people this is the first step in atonement he shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it in this way he will make atonement or at one That's what atonement means, at one He is bringing together an unholy people with a holy God. He will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. All of their sins had to be confessed. They had to wash their garments. They had to prepare themselves for coming into the presence of God. Now he's to do the same thing for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. In other words, the whole camp of Israel is a place of uncleanness. We find in the church that it is to be a place of cleanness not of uncleanness. I'll show you that in a moment. Verse 17, No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement to the most into the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood, and put it on the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. Now, this offering had to be done once a year. But the book of Hebrews tells us he had to do that once a year because the blood of bulls and goats could not remove sin. It could only cover it over. The blood of Jesus is not like the blood of bulls and goats. The blood of Jesus, we're told, remove sin once and for all. It's finished. I want to show you what that finished work looks like. This is Leviticus 16, verse 20. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, He shall bring forward the live goat. He shall lay both hands on the head of that live goat and confess over it the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. Now, the blood of atonement has been offered in the most holy compartment. that is, their sins have been declared covered. They have been forgiven. Now, the scriptures say their sins were blotted out. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that they were changed it means that god changed his position so now he's not going to destroy them he's going to show them mercy because he has blotted out their sins he has not forgiven their sins in the sense of removing their sins that cannot be done until jesus dies at calvary but notice He shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. And he shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of the man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert." What I want you to see is that Jesus is represented by the goat of atonement. He is slain. The blood is our atonement. Then, over the head of the goat, of departure all of the sins were again confessed over the head of this goat and the goat was then led off into the wilderness the goat of departure what does it mean well simply that this goat of departure Was also the goat of atonement. Atonement is a twofold work it is the forgiveness of our sins, and it is the removal of our sins. Both are necessary. There is no salvation in the scriptures. Remember, I I warned you at the beginning? You have to hear afresh. There is no salvation and there is no atonement if only half of the atonement is done. If the atonement does not make you righteous and remove all sin from your life, all iniquity, bentness, if you do not have removed from you all known sin, the atonement has not been effective in your life. It has not accomplished its purpose. There must be a work first of removing your guilt by the blood sacrifice of Jesus. The sin must be purged, blotted out. We've used all of these terms kind of interchangeably, and that's been a problem. Because we've confused and made the work of atonement only one thing. Jesus dying on the cross. Well, Jesus dying on the cross did two things. One, it made it possible for all of your sins to be forgiven. But secondly, it also made it possible for all sin to be removed from your life. And if your sins are not forgiven, and if your sins are not removed... you cannot be saved the work of reconciliation requires both goats in their action to accomplish atonement in your life now we've we've corrupted salvation language we've corrupted the word justification. And if you read John Wesley, you'll find that even he uses this term, taking it from what the Reformers have said, and it is extremely confusing. Words are merely vehicles that we apply meaning to. And if the meaning is corrupted there's a misunderstanding of what the gospel of Jesus is all about. The word to justify is an Old English word. Literally, the word to justify in Old English means righteous. But we have taken the word justify to mean the first work of atonement, which is to forgive, and by that, we use the corrupted meaning of the word forgive. We mean, in the corrupted language of today's salvation story, we mean that Jesus no longer holds us guilty for those things of the past. He wipes them and makes them clean. And surely the first goat of the Day of Atonement did just that not in fullness as in the new covenant, but by allowing the children of Israel to be declared righteous. The second goat is the goat of departure, of removal. It's interesting to me that in the book of Enoch, which was held in very high regard in the day of the apostles, in the day of Jesus. Peter and Jude both quote from the book of Enoch. In that book, on page 6 and 7, Azazel is a leader of the fallen angels, and he taught all manner of unrighteousness. He taught men the practice of war, He taught women the fine points of seduction. He was bound hand and foot, and he was cast into utter darkness, or the abyss. They covered his face, that he may not see light, and he is now waiting for the great day of judgment, where he shall be cast into the fire of hell, and the earth that has been corrupted will be healed. It's that name Azazel that the goat is named after, meaning the goat of departure, meaning the Lord God of heaven will come and he will take the twisted bentness of your heart and he will utterly remove it to the depths and you will not be judged for it again because Jesus has forgiven you and Jesus has removed from you by his precious blood the twisted nature the sinful nature So there is a twofold work of grace that God wants to do for you. One, he wants to remove from you the actions of sin. And two, he wants to remove from you the inclination to sin. Now, does that mean you cannot sin? Of course not. Adam and Eve were perfect in the Garden of Eden until sin was found in them, and they sinned against Almighty God. The angels of heaven were created righteous before God, And then sin was found in them because they rebelled against the Almighty. The scriptures do not teach absolute perfection for human or angels. We were created with the ability to turn and rebel against the Most High. Only God is absolutely perfect. We have infirmities. We have human nature, which is not filled with sin Adam had a human nature before he sinned and iniquity was found in him so we have natural weaknesses but they are not naturally sinful we are to be made righteous by the blood of Jesus first by The blotting out of our transgressions and secondly by the removal of our wicked nature so that we can serve Jesus in righteousness in holiness now we're out of time for today I pray that you will read the scriptures Romans the 6th chapter 1st John from chapter 1 all the way through Don't just rest in what you've been taught, but go to the Word and search for it. You're listening today to Pilgrim's Progress. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com and please, if you would, join us in supporting this radio broadcast. I'm Ray Greenlee. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel. I've been praying for you. I love you, my brother and sister. I want you to walk in righteousness before God. I want you to stand against the wickedness of this world and be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.